This episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to the sport of collegiate wrestling. They track and time every activity throughout a wrestling match and upload over 550 match stats to the Quant app to do things like predict match outcomes. I love this feature. You can use it in the Quant app, available now in the Google and Apple Play stores. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. Now let's get to the episode. I thought if I win this match, if I'm if I'm national champ, if I get that title that I've been working so hard for for all these years, uh, I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to be completely satisfied. And so I, you know, I, I like to say I don't know when that happiness left, but by the next morning it was gone. We can endure anything, and adapt, and pivot, and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life, folks. This is your host, Ryan Warner. We're coming to you Monday, January 31st from Chicago IL. We had an awesome time in Iowa City with the happy hour. Thank you to everyone who came out. Thank you to Stalemates for co-hosting the happy hour with us. And then the Iowa-Penn State duel was amazing. Carver-Hawkeye was crazy. It was an awesome duel meet. But excited to be back in the studio to bring you this episode with Stephen Barrett. Stephen was an NCAA champ for Oklahoma State in 1977. Then he went on a whole career, a whole world of living abroad. He worked for Athletes in Action. And you know he's lived in Moscow. He's lived in the North Caucasus, which is a super small region in southwestern Russia that produces some of the best wrestlers in the world. Stevens also lived in Mongolia, and he has stories for days, folks, so I can't wait to get to this episode. Before we do, you know what time it is. Fan of the week, and this one goes to Dan Willis. Dan is doing amazing things for wrestling here in Chicago. He's the one who introduced me to Stephen Barrett, so thank you, Dan, and thank you for listening to this show. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Stephen Barrett. Peace. Steve Barrett, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks. Good to be here. Really excited to have you on. We're going to talk about all of your travels and uh, just the incredible life you've led. But I, I wanted to start with one area that I'm particularly interested in. Early 90s, Soviet Union comes to a fall. And I understand you're living in the States at this time. And you know, once the Soviet Union fell, somehow or another, it propelled you to take up new work in Moscow. Kind of walk us through that whole process and how you ended up there. Um, you know, when I wrestled for Athletes in Action um, in the early 80s, 
uh, late 70s and early 80s. I was actually with the team for six years. And for whatever reason, my wife and I both felt called to go to Russia, like, like God wanted us to go there. But um, there was no way to get there. We tried several different avenues uh, back in, in the mid 80s, but um, it just... It just wouldn't happen. So it was always kind of a question mark in my mind why I felt called to go someplace that I couldn't get to. And literally almost 10 years from the early 80s when we first felt that urge to move there, um, all of a sudden the Soviet Union opened up. A uh, former teammate of mine, Carl Dampman, um, we worked together. We, we lived in uh, Vienna, Austria for almost three years, my wife and I, and, and I worked together with Carl Dampman, and we went into Eastern European countries. Uh, I wrestled in a lot of tournaments then. So he had just recently moved to Russia, and he said, uh, he invited John Peterson and I, and, and actually Claire Anderson, who was a national champ for Oklahoma State. We went on kind of a tour. Um, we, we had a great time there in, in the fall of 90, our, it might have been, no, I'm sorry, it was the winter, early winter of 91. So um, I was on my way back to the airport, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, wow, God did call me to, to Russia, and now's the time. So I came home, and I told my wife that, and she said, I knew that before you left. He's a little <laughs> more intuitive than I am. So... That's kind of what's what what you know why we ended up moving there. Actually, the Soviet Union when we moved, we got there. Um, I think it was like uh, eight months later, nine months later. So it would have been the fall of '91. Um, I was I was on Red Square for whatever reason when the hammer and sickle flag, you know, the red flag with the yellow hammer and sickle, came down and they raised up the, uh, you know, the red, white, and blue. Russian, you know, uh, contemporary Russian flag. Wow. So Russia was the last of the 15 republics of the former Soviet Union to pull out of the Soviet Union, become an independent nation. And that happened while we were there. What was the state of things when that was all going down? Was it chaos or was it like inspiring? You know, um, yeah, it, it, I don't know if I would describe it as inspiring. Chaos might be a little too strong, but um, yeah, when we moved there, uh, we went, you know, our local grocery store was called the Universam. Universam from the word universal. That means if we don't have it, you don't need it. We've got everything, universal. So when you go in there, the shelves were completely empty. Um, the only thing they sold there was bread. And there was a line that weaved throughout the whole store, a long line. And at the end of it was the bread counter. And when you waited in line for bread, you know, you tell the lady what you want. She writes it on a piece of paper. Then you wait in line at the casa, you know, the, the place where you pay. You wait in that line. You pay. Then you come back with your ticket that says you paid and you wait in line again at the bread <laughs> counter. What? So anyway, oh, and the, your um, how much you owed was calculated with an abacus. At, at your age, you probably don't even know what an abacus is, but it, it's definitely not electronic. It, it was what was used for the last millennia. 
before calculators, but you know, it's these beads and, and they, anyway, they help you count it. So it went from that, when we moved 16 years later, um, our Universam was a modern grocery store, had probably six or eight checkout lines and scanners. And they had almost everything on the shelf that you can imagine, except for peanut butter. We, For whatever reason, I'm American and I like peanut butter. So I'd, I'd have that brought specially in. But literally, you could buy anything you wanted there. So wow. the Universam went through some big changes. And so you you were there for 16 years from the fall of 91, you know, to 16 years later, essentially. Yeah, 07. Wow. wow. That's right. What a... Uh... What a transformative time in Russia to be there and to see all of that. And, uh, you know, folks who are listening, this is a wrestling podcast. And, and Mr. Barrett, as he mentioned, wrestled in a, a ton of international tournaments. And, you know, Oklahoma State national champ for the great Tommy Chesbro. We're going to hit on all that. But let's just let's stay on let's stay on this thread because, you know, you spent some time in an area that I got familiar with researching Bouvasar Satyev. You know, he was from Chechnya and lived in Dagestan. But you, uh, once you got over to Russia, you kind of had a specialized focus in the Northern Caucasus. Yes, I did. Um, Which one? Uh, when I moved there, I started working out at um, Tsenska, the Central Army Club of Moscow. Central Army Club of Moscow had had, I think, like 80 uh, uh, Olympic champions on their list of it. And that's not just in wrestling, but you know, it, it was the most successful club in the history of sport, you know, anywhere, not just in Russia. So I wrestled for them. I uh, quickly learned that most of the guys wrestling for Tsaiska were from the Caucasus. And, and, and there was an assortment of guys, a, a lot of Assetians because the head coach Anatoly Margiev was an Assetian. Uh, there were Dagestanis, Chechens, and, um, you know, there, there's other um, republics of the North Caucasus that love wrestling that don't don't get a lot of notoriety like Dagestan and and uh, Assetia. But mm -hmm. I anyway, I met all those guys. Always had a magnetic draw there. Started going to Chechnya my first year there. Uh, not Chechnya, sorry, uh, Assetia. My first year there. Ended up uh, spent a lot of time there. Spent a lot of time in Dagestan. And then even got to go to Chechnya one time or two times. Wow. And uh, I mean, during that time, it was really crazy for Chechnya with, with the war and first in 95 and then in 2000, that that one was particularly, um, you know, devastating for those cultures. So were you were working with those people from that region all through that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I, I wanted to move there right away. Um, wow. they, there's a, um, what my wife and I, I have three daughters and there's a custom there where if you find a gal, you like, you get your buddies together, you kidnap her and you bring her home. And so for whatever reason, my, my wife didn't like that <laughs> for our three daughters. And so we, we didn't actually move to the caucus caucuses until, uh, our last daughter went off to college. Wow. That is I had seen that or I, I saw that in the research, but wasn't sure how, how true that was. But that was something that was uh, real enough to be a concern for your wife. <laughs> you know, my my oldest daughter, Amelia, she, um, 
I, I told all my kids, you got to do some sport, you know? And so my two younger ones went off to a, a gymnastic club that cranks out Olympic champions, a coach, you know, paid special attention to, to them. And then my daughter went to a Sambo uh, club, Sambo 70, which Putin himself was somehow associated with. Um, and so I decided I'll, I'll take her to wrestling practice. She can kind of see the, you know, the difference and kind of see what, where dad works out and, you know, see some of these guys. Well, anyway, she'd only been there a half hour. She's got long blonde hair. And this um, Dechen comes up to me and says, hey, uh, Zilim Khan, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with your daughter. And uh, may I have permission to kidnap her? And so, you know, if, 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 you, if you respect the, the, the father, you would ask permission before you actually kidnap. Now, th that doesn't happen all the time. In fact, most of the time, it's just a kidnapping. But he, he, you know, out of respect, he came to me and asked, you know, if he could kidnap her. Now, the girl doesn't have any choice. It's the dad and the guy asking the question. So anyway, oh I, my go, Lord. I said, Zilim Khan, how could you possibly be in love with her? You don't even know her name. He doesn't say another word. He gets up, goes over to her, looks down at her and goes, hey, Snow White, what's your name? So you know, she says what her name is. He comes back and says, I know her name. Now let's talk business. He says, I'm, pre I'm prepared to give you up Mercedes. And he gave me some model number. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, I had to gently, you know, you don't want to offend a Chechen. Trust me. Um, <laughs> I, I had to gently, you know, let him down. You know, she's not old enough in our culture. You know, we let our, our children grow up first. Uh, so anyway, in, in in a non-offensive way, I, I told him that I, I couldn't really do that. Wow. That is, that is a crazy situation to find yourself in, <laughs> to say the least. So you're, you raised three daughters in Moscow, which I'm sure that's, that's a story in itself, um, just in terms of you know, that experience being so different than the States. But uh, ultimately, you do move to the North Caucasus. Where did you move to, specifically? We moved, um, if, if you're going west from Ossetia. If you go east, you hit Chechnya, then Dagestan. If you go west toward the Black Sea, the very next republic over of the North Caucasus is called uh, Kabardina Balkaria. And then the next one over is Karachayva Cherkessia. And, and both those republics have cranked out some really good wrestlers. Um, oh, Gedoyev. Mm -hmm. Gedoyev mm -hmm. is from uh, uh, Kabardina Balkaria. And so, I mean, just a, just a tough culture, mountainous culture, I'm sure. I mean, how, how does one go about buying a house in a place like that? Um, we, you know, in Moscow, we'd only ever rented an apartment. I went down there and I tried to rent an apartment. Nobody was particularly interested in renting to an American. And uh, so anyway, I, I found out that a three-room apartment was going to run me about $12,000. So I thought, hey, you know why don't I become a apartment owner? So I, I got an apartment in a, in a really nice section of town right next to a, a, a park where if you ran all the way through the park, boom, you're right in the foothills of the Caucasus. So it was, it was a really nice place for us to live. 
and you're doing work um, that I would consider to be extremely challenging in a, a Muslim country. What was the reception like when you got out on the streets and started doing your work? Mm, good question. Um, yeah, it, it it is a difficult place for a Christian missionary to work, you know, among Muslims. Um, you know, I found them uh, gracious, uh, very hospitable. Um, I I loved living there. Uh, if you know, if you ask me, well, you know, what place, uh, where you know, where have you lived that you you liked the most? Uh, that would definitely be at the, close to the top of the list. Let's put it that way. I loved living down in the Caucasus. What was it about it? Um, their culture. I, I love the hospitality. I love the the way these guys wrestled. You know, they're they're tough guys. Um, they uh, they wrestle with this confidence. You know, and, and it's not necessarily confidence that they're going to win. They had confidence that that they were going to go out there and give that guy everything he, everything they had, and win or lose, that guy was going to know that he. He was in a match. So um, I, I really like that. I don't know, the mentality, especially of the wrestlers down there. Mm. And so how, how are you working with them uh, from a wrestling standpoint? Are you ho- like hosting a club and every, every night you're coaching or are you working with a local club? Um, you know, when I lived down there, I, yeah. I went to a couple different clubs, probably three different clubs. Um, I did help out a little bit. Uh, I, I showed some stuff. Um, worked with, with the guys a little bit. I, I did a lot of training with them. I, I love to, you know, get in there and work out with them. Um, I, I would help out any way I could. Um, I, uh, with, with the help of my, you know, AIA guys in America, we'd, we'd bring a team there every year, uh, somewhere in the Soviet, in the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And we did bring teams several times down to the caucuses and wrestled these different clubs. Um, you know, a lot of these guys didn't have access at all to wrestling shoes. And so, you know, I'd bring, uh, you get two, two pieces of luggage back then anyway. Um, and one of my, one of my pieces of luggage was always full of wrestling shoes. Uh, Bill Farrell of, um, Asics. Mm-hmm. He would give me just incredible deals on closeout models, and uh, so I was always supplying these guys with wrestling shoes. Wow, you're like the Godfather walking in with a suitcase full of new shoes. <laughs> That's right, um, Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, you're just talking about a region. You know, people in the states think I were Oklahoma. It's the cradle of wrestling. But if you talk about the world, the caucuses certainly are are the cradle of wrestling. When you look at what those very small places have been able to do. And, you know, you think about, you know, everyone thinks about Moscow, they think of Russia, but I got to imagine like how different is uh, the caucuses from Moscow in terms of living everyday life? You know, uh, when, when I first went to Russia, I, I wrestled in the Tbilisi tournament mm-hmm. um, in 1978. And we, we, we just called them Ruskies, you know? Which, which is the Russian name for themselves. They, they call themselves Ruski. So um, when I went there, we ended up wrestling, uh, you know, in Georgia mm-hmm. is the Tbilisi tournament. Then we went to Armenia. We went to Azerbaijan. Then we had a match in Moscow. And I found out they're not all Russians. You know, 
there's there's Georgians, there's Armenians, there are Azerbaijans, and uh, I found out that there were different people there. So I always had an interest in these, uh, especially those places where wrestling was really tough. Yeah, you you can go to other cultures, uh, Uva, way out in Siberia, uh, five time zones from Moscow. You can go to Buratia. Uh, several famous wrestlers are from Buratia. They're Mongolian looking. Mm. Um, there are lots of places out there, little minority people groups where wrestling's a big deal. So I was always attracted to going those places too. Yeah. And yet they are very different than than the Russian uh, culture, culturally, you know, how they think, what they do. Different. Yeah. It's interesting. They, um, you know, of all the republics that split off, you know, in the early nineties and, and became a country, you know, obviously Chechnya always wanted to, and that, that never happened. I think it's just such an interesting part of the world. Um, so you were there for quite some time and ultimately ended up in Mongolia. How'd you get there? Well, um, in 1907, sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong century, 2007, uh, I was deported from Russia. So that, that's an interesting story. But Let's hear that I, story first. Hold on a second. Deported from the motherland, like forcefully? The, the forcefully, yeah. Had you had run-ins like with the KGB leading up to it? or I had, yeah, uh, several. Tell us about them. Um, let's see. Um, in Dagestan, I, I was uh, with a group in Dagestan, and we were visiting some uh, colleges, the Dagestan State University, Makhachkala. Uh, we, we addressed, um, you know, our, our first meeting, there was 150 students um, that, that, that were English students, that came in, you know, they just asked us questions. We had an open forum. Uh, everybody had a good time. The teachers loved it. I was down in the courtyard afterwards uh, talking to students. One girl said, this, is, this was the best day of my life. And another student said, yes, mine too. So anyway, everybody had fun. The next day we went back and uh, the, uh, the KGB had, had shut it down. They, they told the... Um, the vice rector of the university was a wrestling coach. And he told me uh, kind of on the side that um, they had threatened the, the college, the university, that if they let the Americans come in one more time, they were all getting fired. So anyway, we, after, after a while, we ended up leaving. And on the way out of Dagestan, our, our van gets pulled over at a checkpoint. And my, my, our driver was a, a local guy. So he goes in and finds out from the, uh, the police, you know, why, why are you pulling over the, the Americans? They said, well, it was an edict from the government to um, stop the white van with Americans in it. So anyway, <laughs> that was the start of a two-day ordeal. Um, you know, I had friends in, in uh, Chechnya. I, I knew the minister of sport, Kajimurat. Uh, uh, Magomedov, uh, you know, Olympic champion in 96. He was there. Kura Magomedov was a, a, a world champion heavyweight. You know, they came uh, to explain to the KGB that this is a mistake. You know, the, 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 everybody likes this guy. 
So um, anyway, we ended up going before a federal court judge, you know, and the story is a little more detailed, but when he heard the whole story and we had witnesses to attest to the fact that we tried to register um, our passports, but the, the registration office wouldn't register us. He said, you know, uh, federal court judge, he says, we call ourselves democratic. We are anything but democratic. And he, he slaps down his gavel and says, let these people go. And so um, we were told, you know, you can go now. The KGB said, no, you know, bring him back to the Office of Immigration. So anyway, this guy, the, the head KGB guy, he took me off to the side and he, he told us what the real problem was. The real problem was I had given out some DVDs of a film about Jesus. And when Jesus talks in this film, it's straight out of the, the book of Luke, you know, the gospel of Luke. So he says that's completely legal, but we are Muslim here and I am, I'm going to do everything I can to uh, get you kicked out of the country. So when I was deported, probably six months later, I knew people at the, um, at the airport where I was being deported from. And um, they went and asked the KGB guys, you know, hey, what's the American in for? And they go, we don't even know. But we know it, it's from an incident that took place in Dagestan. Wow. So uh, there were other incidences. You know, they, they broke into our apartment and got into our computer one, one time while we were gone. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've been held up by the KGB probably on four different occasions, ranging from two days to, you know, you know, five only five or six hours detained by the the KGB, in like in a prison. Um, you know, <laughs> they didn't actually put us in prison. Uh, we were we were at the jail. I mean, there was a jail there, but oh. um, they didn't actually stick us in it. No, I can't believe that. Even the judge said you could go, and they still put their foot down. And ultimately, six months later, they just wouldn't let it go. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it, it shows you their card trumps every other card. Right. right. And uh, before I got deported, you know, I was held in a room in, a, in an airport for like three days. And on the third day, they put me on a plane. And it was the first plane that left the little town that we lived in. It, it was going to uh, Turkey. I had my choice between like Turkey and Syria. And the, the flight going to Turkey happened to be the first one out, thankfully. But um, so you get to Turkey with nothing? What's that? You get to Turkey with nothing? Just like yourself? No, you haven't packed anything? I mean, you're by yourself. Your wife's behind still? Because of my friend in the airport, my wife got to come once. Oh. And um, and actually, I think that's the only time I ate. She she brought some pizza. Um, so it, anyway, I had... I, my wife told different folks and, and some of them, one of them was, was a special appointee by the president, by Putin, for all of physical education for all the children in, in Russia. Uh, I, I won't mention everybody's name, but some important people, okay? And um, when, when they called, they, they picked up the phone to call uh, to intercede on my behalf Tell them, hey, this is a this is a mistake. This guy has only done good things for us. Um, they got a call right afterwards. All three of them gave me the same story. They got a call right afterwards from you know who, and they said, you know, if you bring this up anymore, uh, you're going to lose your jobs. 
So I said, no, don't, don't stop. You know, don't, don't talk anymore about it. You know, I didn't want them losing their job. Oh my gosh. So that's, I mean, the relationships you had over there and the fact that you know, there's, there, there are no match for, uh, for the forces that be. And so you end up in Turkey and uh, is your wife able to get out? Okay. You know, she was there for another month uh, selling our house, uh, you know, gave my car to a friend. Uh, I gave her a whole list of people to say goodbye to because I never got a chance to say goodbye. I was I, I was coming back from a wrestling camp in southern Assetia, a place called Schinvali, who Vadim uh, Bogiev from this little town. Uh, lots of guys are from this, this little town, uh, tough guys. Um, so we, I, I was coming back and uh, so that, that, that's why I was detained in my own airport. So she had to stay for another month. She learned all kinds of words she'd never heard in the Russian language in order to sell an apartment. I mean, it was incredibly complicated. It took document after document, you know, signed by the right people in order to be able to sell it. And then she found a buyer. And anyway, uh, it was it was very stressful for her, especially going and saying goodbye to all my friends that I, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to. And plus, she's living in an apartment that, you know, they're watching and that they've broken into before. I mean, that alone will give you the creeps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, oh, my Lord. That's that is crazy. Before we shift uh, shift lanes, I'm just curious, while you were in the, the caucus region, did you ever have a chance to bump into the great Bovisar Satyev? Do you ever see him anywhere? Oh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We we saw each other every now and then. Was he uh, friendly? What was he like? Yeah, he was friendly. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we we didn't get to be good friends because I I didn't run into him that often. He right. trained all the way out at, in Krasnoyarsk. Right. So right. usually I saw him like once a year out there. I I did see him uh, more than once in the caucuses though. But you know, yeah, we were casual friends. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of forget that you were there during when he was still training in Krasnodar. So obviously now he lives in Moscow, so he's never really returned since he left left uh, at a young age. And so, you know, kind of the, the whole genesis of how all this started, you traveling the world, doing missionary work, is that you were a, a star wrestler at Oklahoma State. And I'm hoping we could talk a little bit about that. But ultimately, you had a realization that, you know, success in sports didn't leave you satisfied like you thought. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, that's right. So kind of before you had this realization, though, uh, what kind of an athlete were you? And what kind of competitor were you kind of coming up through high school and college? Mm, my um, I, I started wrestling my about halfway through my freshman year in California. We had just moved from Massachusetts. I remember telling my basketball coach, you know, I always loved sport, but basketball wasn't it. But it was the only sport available, so that, that's what I went out for. I remember telling him, hey, my family's moving. I've, I've got to go. And I remember a clipboard was in his hand. He looked up from the clipboard. He goes, oh, oh okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he even recognized who I was. But so I go to this new school right during the Christmas break. Um, so the, the season's half over, and I – you know, in my basketball shoes, I asked the coach if I could wrestle and he said, yes. So I started wrestling right there. Um, two weeks later, varsity guy gets sick. JV guy is injured. 
So I got to wrestle for the team and it's against the league champion, you know, reigning league champion. So my coach says, you know, what, what instructions do you give? He says, don't get in. <laughs> so I followed his instructions carefully for 52 seconds. <laughs> and that's when I got pinned. But anyway, I loved wrestling right off and, um, you know, got better and better. And our, my senior year, my junior year, I won the Southern California, Southern section. My senior year, for the first time in the history of California, that was 1973, there was a state tournament in California. They put the whole state together, uh, 800 schools that wrestled, uh, put it all together in one big tournament, you know, no classes there in, in California. Oh my. And uh, so anyway, uh, a teammate in, uh, of mine and I, we both won that and we both ended up going to Oklahoma State. So the first time ever was your senior year for the state first. tournament. For the state First tournament. state tournament, 1973, my senior year, yeah. Wow, for such a powerhouse state, that's late to have a to just start holding the tournament like that. Interesting. Well, think about it. California is like 700 miles long mm -hmm. and probably 200 miles wide. Um, you know, the road, the infrastructure of roads and everything wasn't such that, you know, people would, could go that far to a state tournament until, you know, the seventies, all of a sudden you, you had interstates, you had uh, bigger roads, you know, freeways. Um, so they put wow. it all together back when they, they could. Just imagine being a fan of California wrestling back then. And, you know, probably for years they were saying, oh, I wish we had a state tournament. Then finally it happens. I mean, the, the buildup in the atmosphere there must've been unreal. Yeah, it was cool. The first state tournament, there were a lot of folks there. That's how, right. How big was your high school back then? Our high school is considered 2A, and, you know, it went all the way up to the 5A in California, but we had 100 kids in our our high school. It, wasn't, it was considered small, but it wasn't really that small. Right. I mean, but compared to some of the other schools in California, I mean, pretty, uh, pretty unique to have two champs from one school. And if you think about you started your freshman year, what do you think uh, allowed you to get better so quickly and jump so many levels? Um, yeah, my... My high school coach, Duffy Brailsford, he, um, he I, I remember him telling my kids the story about me, you know, coming in the wrestling room and people were flying through the air and I didn't know how to do anything, but there was a lot of grunting, you know, in faction. So he, he put an assistant coach on me to teach me the fundamentals because he, he could see something was going on there. It was kind of too early to tell, but he, he knew that there was potential there. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I, you know, with experience, I got better and better. And I'll tell you another thing. Um, he took us to um, summer uh, tournaments there in Southern California. So mm. we wrestled, oh, probably 10 tournaments in the summer. We wrestled more matches in the summer, you know, freestyle than we did during the year. So that was, that was massive in, you know, getting experience. And when you, you went to Oklahoma State, they were the, they were the kings back then. Did you, uh, did you call Tommy Chesbro or did he come calling to you? Um, they, uh, there were actually um, a couple guys at the California State Tournament. And as far as I know, the only two guys they talked to were uh, my, my buddy John Jackson, that was the state champ for, for my high school, and me. So we, we both flew there and... Um, and I remember, 
whoever it was Jim Shields who mm-hmm. was a good wrestler for I mean a really good wrestler for Oklahoma State. He was one of the guys, and he introduced himself as the the coach at Oklahoma State. So we got picked up at the airport by this guy, and we 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 were already kind of a little bit. It's like why did this why did the coach sent a flunky to pick us up. Well, it turns out that was Tommy Chesbro. The guy that picked <laughs> us up. <laughs> and, I mean, it showed us how much we knew. And I, you know, Tommy Chesbro says, "Hey, um, we won the nationals last year. This school has won 27 national titles. Uh, so if you if you figure it out, NCAA wrestling started in 1928. This is 1973. Over half the years, uh, Oklahoma State was was first. But my buddy and I, John and I, looked at each other and we knew that wasn't true." Because we went to um, Hitchcock's camp, who was he was the coach at uh, Cal Poly, and they had won the national tournament that year. So how how could Oklahoma State have won? And we challenged them on it. We said, hey, you know, Cal Poly won it last year, and that's when we find found out there was such a thing as D two and D one, <laughs> and that and that in D one they actually took eleventh place. Wow. Although they, they were champions in D2, they took 11th place in D1. And uh, anyway, that, that's kind of when we said, oh, man, we, we want to go to Oklahoma State. <laughs> man, it just shows you how, uh, you know, now the exposure so much that, you know, middle schoolers know the difference. But even guys like you back then who were state champs, college wrestling was like kind of so underexposed that you didn't even know about the different divisions, you know? It's true. And I, I can imagine me not knowing, but, but John didn't know either. He, he knew a lot more than me. Trust me. <laughs> what was uh Chesbro like once he got in the room with them? Um, you know, I always liked being, um, one of his wrestlers. Um, you know, I, I had a very different style of wrestling, uh, a very unorthodox style. So um, I don't know that, you know. Um, he was a relentless top, driller, right? What, what's that? He was a relentless driller, right? Oh, oh and his, his technique, I mean, he was, it was incredible. You know, and he'd show one thing after another. And how would you like to coach a guy that, you know, you show him and show him and show him, and he, he doesn't do it. He, he can't do it, you know. <laughs> He had this appreciation for really fine-tuned technique. And if you if you looked at my 10 favorite moves that I used, there wasn't a name for any of them. <laughs> so uh, one, one time he was given a, a lecture during practice. You know, all the guys were seated, and he's given a lecture on the importance of technique, and he's talking about different guys. He talks about uh, Roger Roberts. You know, he's he's really good at the high crotch and the fireman's carry. And he's talking about different guys. And I'm I'm avoiding eye contact. And for whatever reason, I happen to look up and right then our eyes connected. And, and he said, or, you know, there's Steve's philosophy. You throw enough stuff. And he didn't say stuff. But anyway, you throw enough stuff against the wall. Some of it's going to stick. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's and, you know, it was a pretty good description of my wrestling. <laughs> Man. And, uh, I mean, think about, I, I just love that era of Oklahoma State because, you know, Leroy was there, Eric Weiss. Um, you know, those are uh, those are some some fun fun stories to hear about, you know, in the uh, 
kind of the wild west back then. And, uh, you know, your junior year, you take third. And by all accounts, from what I read, you were just like super goal oriented, super driven and only a national title would do. And then after that, you were just singularly focused the whole following year. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that that third place, I actually lost to an unseated guy in the in the quarters, came back, wrestled some of the I mean, literally, I I wrestled the best matches of my life. Um, you know, uh, my first match coming back was a defending national champ, Don Roan. And I I don't know when the match ended, but it was under a minute. I was already ahead of him by more than 10 points when I pinned him. Um, in, in, the, in the Constellation Finals, those, you know, those matches are only six minutes. I wrestled a guy in the, you know, for third and fourth. Uh, when the match was over, I was ahead of him 20 to six in a six minute match. Yeah. So I was, I was on fire, but yeah, when, when everything was over, I, you know, I got my, my medal or whatever. I, I went into a corner somewhere and cried because it was, it was this massive disappointment. Um, but I, you know, I had the next year. So yeah, I, I did try hard the next year. (laughs) (laughs) How would you describe, uh, like some of your workouts and just your mentality leading up to the NCAs in 77 when you were a senior? Mm. Um, you know, once again, I was really bad with, um, drilling because I, I didn't know that stuff. And so uh, anybody who got me as a drill partner, they, they knew there wasn't going to be any drilling going on. Because I, I, didn't, I, I didn't like the, the whole concept of allowing someone to take you down. I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to feel that. You know? So you, like you couldn't even, I mean, I'm sure you could have, but like if Chesbo said drill a sweep single, that wasn't something that you were just that comfortable doing? No. And now I was, I, I, I was just awful at all that stuff. <laughs> I, I know it's crazy, but. Oh, it's yeah. so funny though. Um, I mean, obviously you had a system cause you were a four time big eight champ and the first Californian first California state champ to ever win a D one title. But, uh, it's just crazy to hear that. Yeah. So you know, 77 nationals, your, uh, your whole focus, your whole life comes, you win it. And then like the next day, it sounds like your kind of your whole life changed. Your whole life started in a way, um, kind of just talk us through like what you were feeling and how that led to some of the travels we were talking about earlier. Yeah. When, um, yeah, when I, when I won, I mean, I, I thought, I mean, that was my ultimate goal. I thought if I win this match, if I'm, if I'm national champ, if I get that title that I've been working so hard for, for all these years, uh, I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to be completely satisfied. Um, and so I, you know, I, I like to say, I don't know when that happiness left, but by the next morning it was gone. It really was. And uh, even, you know, I'd been so disappointed the year before and even, even in winning, I felt disappointment because uh, achieving my ultimate goal didn't bring me what I thought it was going to bring. So uh, it, it opened me up to start thinking about, you know, my relationship with God. I had put myself first, my um, achievements first. Uh, I, I wrestled for my own glory. 
hey, I wanted everybody to look at me and 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 say, oh, that guy's a tough wrestler. Oh, he's good, you know. Um, but this whole thing helped me understand really why I'm here on this earth, why God put me here, and um, helped me to understand that that the most important thing in my life isn't isn't bringing glory to me. It's it's bringing glory to God. So long after that. Um, some AIA guys talked to me, and one one of them was uh, Gene Davis, um, and you know uh, proposed you know the possibility of joining Athletes in Action, and and I knew right then, uh, not, and it it wasn't because I was missionary material, okay, but <laughs> I I knew that I that's what I needed. I needed to be around these guys, and and you know be brought up by them. Because I was I was pretty influenced by everything that was going on around me, and so I, I wanted to put myself in that environment, in that atmosphere, and so anyway, I I said yes. It was this before or after the Dave Schultz match. This was you know what it was it was probably one year after I won the um, the nationals. Yeah. What happened in the Schultz match? Uh, Dave Schultz came to Oklahoma State. Everybody in the country wanted him for obvious reasons. I mean, he was already very famous while he was still in high school. It shocked a lot of people at how he did in, in open tournaments. So um, when he got to Oklahoma State, uh, I, I was I had just graduated. So I was like, you know, an assistant uh, graduate assistant coach. I was working on my master's degree. So anyway, we wrestled every day in practice. Um, and. In middle of November, we had what was called the orange and black match, our school colors. Coach divided everybody up into two teams. Well, Dave did not have a worthy challenger in the room. So, um, you know, usually it's got to be two guys that are eligible because one of them is going to make the team. Mm -hmm. uh, but coach wanted me to wrestle Dave. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's reasons for it. I was defending national champ. Uh, he knew that if I, and, and I was one of the crowd favorites. I mean, uh, people loved to wa watch my wrestling and they couldn't, they, they didn't have a name for any of my moves either, but it was a <laughs> lot of fun to watch this crazy guy with all this hair, you know, which not, not a lot of hair now, but <laughs> <laughs> so I wrestled, uh, got there, I had some crazy stuff and I could take him down and, uh, he would stop me and, and nobody was like Dave in this category. I've never seen anything like it. He was like a savant. He'd say, how did you do that? I'd show him how to do it. How do you stop that? I'd show him how to stop it. Dave would be using my favorite move on me the next day. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. The, the ability to pick up moves and, and pick up, you know, the defense, the moves, it was incredible. So, you know, by the time um, the middle of November came along, I didn't have any secrets left. I was in classes below Dave. I wrestled 142 back then. Was That was the weight class. He wrestled 157. So I was two weight classes from him. And I, I, I didn't want to wrestle Dave, but uh, evidently duty called. And uh, I, I, I did have a scholarship, so I, I needed to do what the coach said. So anyway, that night, I, you know, I, um, 
I, I was introduced, the crowd, you know, rose to their feet and uh, gave me a standing ovation, like always. Uh, then we started wrestling. Dave got the first two points. Already there's, you know, there's people cheering for Dave. Um, and then at some point, you know, he picks up a couple more points. And by the, by the third period, and there's this growing momentum in the gym. You know, it's getting louder and louder. And at some point in the third period, I got Dave's uh, in a single leg. I'm pulling so hard to take him down. I, I broke my own rib. And I've got a big lump here in my side um, to this day from that match. So I, I, didn't, I didn't even call a timeout. The ref saw that I was injured. He, he calls timeout. So I'm laying there trying to breathe. And, you know, I got, I got people literally booing now you know that i'm stalling i'm tired you know and so anyway at the end of the match dave wins and i'd never heard so much noise in gallagher hall uh they, they just went crazy and obviously you know i i, I thought that they loved me <laughs> it, it turns out they didn't really love me they loved it when i won they loved it when i scored points for the team but for me uh, personally, uh, they found a new new hero, another guy that's going to wrestle for him for four years. Um, so I, you know, and I, I don't want to denigrate my my fans, you know, Oklahoma State got, uh, people in any way. I, uh, I I think it's the same everywhere you go. Right. Um, but uh, because because I, I, even now looking back, there's no there's no place I would have rather wrestled. Mm. Uh, Oklahoma State. I love Oklahoma State. I, I love the crowds, but they have their limitations. So let's just put it that way. But it's a good reminder, though, that you know, the people, the fans are booing or cheering for, they're just like 21, 20 year olds. And uh, sometimes that stuff really does bother people. And for whatever, you know, that night it hit you, hit home with you and kind of led to this, you know, revival or a uh, you know, big turning point in your life where you ultimately did join Athletes in Action moved to Austria and you're, and you're being coached by the great John Peterson. And I didn't realize it was like an RTC club back then. Maybe still is. Wait a minute. Oh, Oh, athletes in action are RTC club. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Because when you lived in Austria, it seemed like you had a coach and you had team members and you were doing the circuit. You had yes, the circuit. We were, we were, it was a small team. Um, we spent most of our time in Eastern Europe. It was, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of wrestling going on, you know. Uh, I, yeah. I ended up wrestling in a total of 15 different international tournaments. And, and a lot of them, at least half of them, were during this time frame. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. We, we went to a lot of training camps. We went um, I, on eight separate occasions. I was in Poland wrestling with their national team at training camps. Four separate occasions, Czechoslovakia. Uh, twice, uh, Romania. Uh, spent uh, time in Bulgaria. Uh, uh, East Germany, even so, a lot of opportunity to wrestle in some really cool places. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, just the experiences you must have are 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 amazing to think about. I just wanted to wind down with you. Know, you've obviously seen wrestling at the highest level in all these other countries. You've seen it at a high level in the states, and just kind of from a coaching perspective, wanted to pick your brain on like what some of the key differences you see are in terms of coaching and bringing up youth athletes and the caucuses as opposed to the States. Um, a, a huge emphasis on technique. Um, you look at those guys, those coaches, the Soviet style of wrestling. And so they, they, 
you know, when the Soviets took over Mongolia, they came in and, and, and you look at the Mongolians, Mongolian style is somewhat affected by their national style of wrestling, but uh, mostly by the Soviet school of wrestling. So you look at the Soviet school of wrestling that, that got promoted all over Eastern Europe. Um, they use, they teach, they emphasize um, the, the highest percentage moves. Highest percentage moves, mm, head outside single, you know, high crotch, head outside single, fireman's carry. I remember uh, going to the, I, I think it was 2015, um, the world championships were in Uzbekistan. So I was there for that. I, I think, I don't know if there were still 10 weight classes. Maybe there was only seven weight classes at that time. Um, every winner except for one was from Russia, uh, from, the, from Russia. Mm -hmm. They were every one of those Russians that year were from the Caucasus. The only non-Russian to win that year was a Turk. Well, it turns out that Turk was a, um, I th I th he was definitely a Chechen. I think he was a Dagestani Chechen. Couldn't make the team, so he went to Turkey, wrestled for Turkey, <laughs> and he won the world championship. Okay, so uh, everybody that won that year was uh, from Russia, was mm -hmm. from the Caucasus, mm -hmm. uh, and most of them were either Dagestan or, or Ossetia. Every single one of them came out with a high crotch or fireman's carry. You know, if you if you set up the high crotch, your hands, your feet, everything are exactly like. Uh, a fireman's carry. You do the same motion with a fireman's carry. So every single first move scored off your feet was uh, a shot, a uh, head outside shot. Whether it got finished with a um, um, fireman's carry, you know. So, and and I've got a theory. Um, I love you know to use my hips on um, uh, defense, you know, if, if somebody grabbed my, uh, my right leg, it was like, you know, it was my birthday, you know, <laughs> for sure. You know, I, I used to have, no, I didn't really have names for this, you know, impossible and highly unlikely was my left leg. Uh, <laughs> now it's, you know, it's more like uh, uh, probably and take me, I'm yours. You know, it's my, my, my leg names have changed, but anyway, I loved it when a guy grabbed my, my, my right leg. I, I had really good uh, defense coming from the hips. You know, our, our defense in America is very different now. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, bend at the hips and reach over and grab an ankle or something, um, which yeah. doesn't work internationally because their hips in Russia, their hips, you know, down in the Caucasus are so good you know you'll never take that guy down unless you blast all the way through him. If you stop at any point in the match, it's over. He's, the, the, the defense is so good there. But the defense, the really, really good defense, the use of the hips um, has made the offense so much better. Mm. You know? Yeah. So you're, so, you're saying their, their philosophy on defense is still – heavy hips, strong hips and, uh, attacking, you know, with those. And, you know, when you compare that to a high C or a fireman's, you know, the parallels are there. Yeah. 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 So the high C it's perfect because you, 
you, you come in and you turn that corner right away to eliminate the hip pressure and, and you either switch off to a double or fireman's him. Right. You think about uh, one of the great wrestlers in the state, Spencer Lee, he has a vicious fireman's and he can hit it from the inside or the outside. So maybe you need to go, we need to go back to the fireman's a little bit more now that you say that. Um, I mean, this is this is exactly the kind of conversation I was hoping to have around the coaching and the development, just because you again you saw it for so long. Um, from a uh, from a matches standpoint, were they getting more or less matches you think at a young age than than we're seeing here? Mm, their philosophy of little kids, um, they'll they'll only do gymnastics with little kids. Uh, they they want them um, body position, body coordination. Uh, you know, their wrestlers, when they warm up, they're doing backflips across the mat. They're doing back saltos all the time. They're, they're much more acrobatic than, than we are. And it's, it's because of how they get them started. So they've, they've got really good body control before they ever even, you know, show them how to wrestle. Yeah. Um, I remember in the Soviet Union going there um, for that first publicity tournament that I went to, we were in a, uh, a club. And there were little kids out on the mat and there was a coach there with a clipboard and, you know, he was saying stuff, but I knew what he was saying. There was a list of moves there and he was saying, um, you know, shoulder throw to the right, shoulder throw to the left, fireman's to the right, fireman's to the left. And he's, he's, he's checking them off as he goes through. And I realized, and, and this kid, you know, he's, he's probably 10 years old and he's doing each one of these moves with incredible accuracy, you know, technical yeah. perfection. Uh, moves that, you know, I, there's no way I could do it like that. So I realized, uh, you know, how much emphasis they put on, on um, technique and doing technique exactly right. So that when they're drilling the technique, you know, I, I, I help with a couple colleges around here, when these guys are drilling technique, they're drilling it so sloppy sometimes. Now, I, I, I'm not going to say everybody is, but a lot of the guys are doing it in a real sloppy way. These guys, when they drill it, they drill it with finesse, you know, with explosion. They're not going to hurt their opponent. You know, it is drilling, but they're going to do it explosive and picture perfect. And I, I love the way they drill. I'd love to see it more in more detail and just observe like you're talking about because, man, they're doing something right. And, uh, you know, the Euregan's going on right now. So it's been pretty NCA-focused around here, but the Euregan gets us all – just excited that, you know, in a couple of months, we're going to be in the heart of the freestyle season, which uh, is starting to become my favorite more than folk style, I will say. Yeah. Now, th- just the last thing I wanted to wind down with is, you know, you're in Missouri now, and uh, you seem like a, a man who's constantly on the go and, you know, exploring new parts. Is it hard for you to settle back in the States after living abroad so long? Mm, you know, I, I, I love my uh, farm. It's, it's almost like the... Uh, uh, the Garden of Eden for me. Um, I, I I do enjoy taking uh, tours overseas, uh, athletes in action. Uh, before COVID, we were doing three trips a summer. Um, we we took a, a group to Mongolia every year. I, I didn't mention, but I lived in Mongolia for five years also. So I've got really good connections there. I love the wrestling there. Take a group to there, and we have a camp there every year. We have a camp in uh, Ukraine. Um, we take a group there every year. And then the, then the third group was for more elite, you know, wrestlers, college or, or beyond. Um, 
we, uh, for five years, I think five years in a row, we either went to um, Central Asia or the Caucasus region. Wow. Yeah. So Right to the thick of it. I, yeah, we had only one last year. We went to Ukraine. I hope we, we're going to have two this year. But yeah, I, I, I still love to get reconnected with a lot of friends of mine. Uh, you know, I, I, I got reconnected with several people that I wrestled uh, back when I wrestled, you know, wrestled against the Soviet Union. Yeah. And that, that was so much fun uh, reconnecting with those guys. I mean, what a uh, what a journey it's been for you. And just so thankful you were able to come on here and share a little bit of it. Uh, Stephen Barrett, greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. You are welcome. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. I can't believe well, anybody re remembers me. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, man. that's uh, I've heard a lot of people, as soon as I said you were coming on, uh, they're very excited for it. And I've, I've sourced some questions from them. So I, I appreciate Appreciate those folks. And, and again, it's just been really fun to chat with you this morning. All right. Thanks. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to the sport of collegiate wrestling. They track and time every activity throughout a wrestling match and upload over 550 match stats to the Quant app to do things like predict match outcomes. I love this feature. You can use it in the Quant app, available now in the Google and Apple Play stores. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free.